everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will highlight the legislative priorities of Congress upon their return from recess, along with offer reflections on President Biden's budget proposal, and we'll also check in on a variety of notable and recent geopolitical developments. So joining me here on the line for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, as always, it's great to be with you. A lot to cover this week, uh, but looking forward to diving into some of these topics with you. It's good to be with you, uh, Dan. Uh, you know, here we are in June, and the Mets are in first place. There you go. Yankees, I can't say the same, but we're trying. So, still some runway ahead of us. We'll see how it goes. But, Shane, I know there's a lot that has taken place within the Beltway and beyond since we've last uh, spoke. Maybe we could begin with the fact that Congress, they do remain on their week-long recess. I believe that kicked off last Friday. It took effect this week. So I know there's probably a full plate once they return. So I'm curious what might be some of the notable legislative priorities, initiatives that remain outstanding and will be in focus upon their return to session. Yeah, you're right. They have a, a full agenda. Um, there are a number of items that uh, they're looking to get across the finish line. Uh, you know, Starting with uh, the January 6th commission that failed last Friday in the Senate, I think Senator Schumer would like to try and have another go at it. And at the same time, when they were voting on the that uh, January 6th commission, they pushed off the final vote on this um, bill in the Senate that is really a boost to the semiconductor industry. It'd be about a $50 billion initiative to boost the semiconductor industry and really... Uh, try and uh, pull back on the U.S.'s reliance on China. So it's kind of a a bipartisan bill. There are some snags near the end of it. uh, So we're going to see if they can resolve all of that. I think it's headed in the right direction. Um, So that will be a noteworthy uh, bill by Congress to pass. Additionally, you've heard that um, June is going to be a make-or-break month for uh, police reform legislation, you know, police reform legislation right now, senators are seeing if they can come up with the final bipartisan bill that can uh, gain support from enough Republicans to get across the finish line. Uh, additionally, you know, uh, the big kind of uh, item that everyone's following right now is infrastructure. Um, President Biden uh, is negotiating with uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capital, West Virginia, a Republican, to see if they can come to a deal. They made some progress yesterday and are scheduled to meet tomorrow, Friday again. Um, But, you know, uh, you know, we've been a little pessimistic about these negotiations and think that they're eventually going to break ties there and, and move toward a, towards a Democrat only infrastructure package. So um, as you said, busy agenda for the summer. Um, And I should note that the, you know, obviously um, if Democrats move ahead with that, uh, Democrat-only infrastructure package, it it would, inc- it would likely include some tax increases. Well, uh, thank you, Shane. There was a lot to unpack there, so thank you for breaking it all out for us and bringing us up to speed. And as you pointed out, it will be a busy summer ahead for Congress, and there's a lot there that we'll be following up on over the next few months or so. Another item I want to get your thoughts on, and this is going back again to last Friday. I know President Biden going into the Memorial Day weekend, he 
outlined his budget proposal. So what are some of the notable takeaways from the proposal, Shane? And what has the reception consisted of thus far? Yeah, so this is a $6 trillion package. So there's a lot in there, and I'm sure I'll overlook some things. But you saw a significant uh, spending increases in a variety of areas, you, you know, uh, health care, um, a lot of social spending would be the uh, benefactor of this budget. I think what's also getting the main um, uh, thrust of the attention here, though, is um, the tax increases that were included. At the same time that uh, the Biden administration released the budget, the Treasury Department uh, included what's known as the Green Book. And the Green Book is a set of tax proposals. So you're seeing a lot of attention given to uh, these tax proposals, which have been uh, discussed by uh, President Biden and his team for the past year plus. So it's not new, but it, uh, given what's going on and these uh, talks about an infrastructure package, it really takes on uh, a new life. And and this uh, Green Book also, uh, you know, uh, puts in place some effective dates. Uh, most notably, cap gains uh, would be effective April 28th. So that's a retroactive tax that a lot of people are on. Now, we think this could evolve and that date could move, but that's probably maybe one of the components that getting the most attention from clients that we speak to. Shane, thank you for highlighting some of those points of interest. And of course, tax policy remains front and center for many of our listeners, our clients. And I'm sure we can uh, dig further into what comes ahead on future episodes. So thank you for that, Shane. Now, turning over to geopolitics, I know the world has been a very busy place over the past few weeks or so. So there's a few geopolitical stories I want to get your thoughts on, maybe beginning with the fact that the U.S. did impose a round of sanctions towards Belarus in response to a recent government-backed forced landing of a commercial airliner. So what do the penalties consist of and what are the implications of this whole story to the region? It was quite a fascinating headline to see. Yeah, not only the forced landing of this airliner, but why the airliner was forced to land. It was because there was a journalist on the plane that they arrested um, because he's written stories that are perceived uh, to be negative against uh, the government of Belarus. So, you know, um, there is there is a lot to this story. There is a lot of outrage. And you're right, the U.S. has uh, reimposed uh, sanctions against, I think, nine state-owned enterprises uh, from Belarus. Uh, you've also seen the State Department um, issue a do-not-travel warning for U.S. citizens, urging them not to travel to Belarus. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of European nations um, coordinating with the U.S. and, you know, develop a list of targeted sanctions against key members of their uh, government regime and and uh, also take a deeper look into ongoing abuses of human rights and corruption um, that led up to these events. So this is going to be something that plays out. You've seen uh, Putin, uh, President Putin of uh, Russia come to the defense of Belarus. So you're seeing kind of some of those old dividing lines uh, between uh, different coalitions and countries. Uh, and this will provide some tension uh, for for a while to come. And, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, forget about it as we think about some of uh, 
the European Union and uh, and any negotiations going on uh, there in the future. Okay, so something we'll continue to track, but thank you, Shane, for the color on that story. Now, another highlight I want to bring up and get your thoughts on, I know the Biden administration recently engaged China in its first round of trade talks. I think back to the years of the Trump administration, you and I had many conversations about the progress, the evolution of trade negotiations between the U.S. and China, but here we are with a new administration implementing their first round of talks. So what are some of the key takeaways you could share with us from these most recent talks? And what might the path forward from here look like, Shane? Yeah, so U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai had a uh, virtual meeting with Chinese Vice Premier uh, Liu Hu. Um, and, you know, this was, uh, you know, pretty important and monumental. It was also followed up by another conversation with uh, Secretary Treasury Secretary Yellen. So uh, we we saw two meaningful conversations here, um, and you know these are not full you know trade negotiations, uh, but it's kind of a setting the table for the Biden administration to more actively engage China, um, kind of a temperature check, laying out um, some baselines of where each side is for future negotiations. You know, I think the, that the second half of 2021 will ramp up for U.S.-China discussions uh, on trade. You know, the Biden administration um, has kept in place, you know, most of the Trump tariffs on China, and that's purposeful. Um, you know, not to say that they won't ease some of it up, but, you know, to ease them up before they really engage would be, you know, giving up a chit, if you will. So, the negotiations will resume. And, you know, I think you're seeing uh, the Biden administration, while they seem to be taking a different tact, they're really not. Why they seem to be taking a different tact is because the rhetoric is not as heightened as it was under the Trump administration. But you're seeing that they are taking uh, a, a tough stance at this moment against China and uh, do not seem to be giving in uh, an inch at, at the moment, and we'll see where these negotiations go. Yeah, much more to come here, but thank you, Shane, for bringing us up to speed as to where we stand today and more we can follow up on in the coming weeks and months. Maybe one last geopolitical topic we can hit on today, checking back in on the Iran nuclear negotiations. Now, I understand that talks adjourned late yesterday, Wednesday, and are expected to resume later this month. Maybe, Shane, you can bring us up to speed in terms of where negotiations stand and remind us of who the key players are at the table right now. Yeah, the key players are um, the European Union, uh, most notably countries like Britain, France, and Germany, and, and the U.S., obviously, and, of course, Iran. Um, you know, I think you can describe these uh, or the, the those uh, players in these negotiations um, after the wrap of the this round of negotiations were fairly positive. Uh, some of them didn't want to get too far ahead of themselves and claim um, that there was a deal or victory in place, but they uh, recognize that they've made progress in these negotiations, but there are still some outlying issues that are not insurmountable, but are some tough issues ahead. I think part of that positioning, though, is... Um, you know, politics. Uh, there is an election in Iran. I think it's um, in the middle of June. So, you know, there is that sensitivity uh, on Iran's part. Um, you know, these negotiations aren't 
um, the most popular thing in in Iran. So they have, there's that delicate balance of uh, how they proceed. So, you know, you are correct to point out there's more negotiations to come, uh, but we have to think about that election coming up too and the timing of all of this. Um, I think you do see the sides, as I say, coming together um, towards an agreement. Uh, so, you know, if they don't get it wrapped up in the next round of negotiations, maybe it's just another round or two. But I think right now all the sides are heading towards um, re-entering that uh, nuclear deal from years ago. Okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot that will be playing out in pretty short order, so we'll see what these next round of talks deliver, though. Shane, as always, appreciate your time inside for sharing with us some reflections, takeaways from a whole host of topics from within the Beltway up on Capitol Hill and around the world as well. We'll look forward to continuing the conversation with you next week, Shane. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Thanks, Dan. You too. Thanks, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients, our listeners, as always, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.